hands on your hearts and ask the Lord to open your heart. Burn like a fire in me. We sang that song. Burn like a fire in me. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Just let him just get into those parts of our hearts that we sometimes feel afraid to allow someone to come in. And the Lord, in all of his goodness and kindness, he wants to come and he wants to make known of himself, all of himself, to you and I. Father, open our hearts, unveil our minds, Lord. Unstop our ears. We thank you. Bless you. Now hear what he's going to speak to you, just in silence. Just hear him whisper to you. Can you all say this with me as well? Each one, reach one. One more time. Each one, reach one. So did anyone reach one this week? Amen. You've, yes. One yes. 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 The auction begins. Yes. Four. Four yeses. Any fives? Do we take a five? Do we take a six? You know, praise God. We've got another week. Amen? We've got 52 weeks in this year, but I don't know how many weeks have already gone, gone past. And let's, let's, let's continue to do that. We've been encouraged a few weeks ago about inviting. So each one, reach one. Every time when I speak, I'm just going to speak that line. Each one. One more time. Each one. Amen. Now we are in our discipleship culture. And uh, de uh, uh, developing a culture of discipleship, that's what we're about over the month of March and over April. So part one and part two of developing a discipleship culture, I shared the three C's of um, that, that a disciple moves through. And if you can remember what those three C's are, you move from curiosity, then convince to committed. Say that again. Curious. Convinced. Committed. One more time. Say it with me. Commit, convinced. Committed. And you, you know the example that I gave or the passage of scripture that I shared was when Jesus challenged the disciples after, he had, after, after the multitudes were fed, after they saw all of the miracles, he, ch he challenged them and he said that, will you now eat my flesh and blood? And at that point in time, many of them, they began to talk to one another and they said, this is difficult, this is hard. Because they were curious, out of curiosity, they were convinced when the miracle had happened. Man, this God, he can multiply this five loaves and two fish. I definitely want to, I want to follow this dude. I really want to follow him because I'm convinced that he can meet my needs. 
But God wasn't about just meeting the natural aspect. Just tone me down a little bit, please. Uh, not about the natural aspect. It's about this bread of heaven. That he is the bread of heaven. He is the bread of life. And so he began to challenge them about, thanks, Zach. He began to challenge them about uh, eating his flesh and blood. And then the disciples then spoke to him. Or rather, he, he turned to the disciples. And some left. The word of the Lord says that, right? And then he turned to his disciples, the ones that were following him. And he said, are you also going to leave? And Peter said, to whom should we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Right? So that was, that was uh, uh, what I had shared over the last couple of weeks when, I, when I'd spoken. And I want to maybe, maybe share, the, share this analogy about being curious to being convinced and then to being committed. And as, as I share this analogy, I'm going to invite the ushers to hand you a little bookmark. And I want you to keep that bookmark. Please don't read it. Just keep it and hold it. Um, and, and, and just hang on to this bookmark. You will, uh, some of you already have it, but uh, if you don't, please keep that with you. There is a large print bookmark and there is a small print bookmark. So if you, are hard of, if, if you find it difficult to read small print and you've been given a small print, that means God is saying, I'm visiting you to heal you. Amen. So just claim it. Don't go and change it. Don't go and change Give me a big one. No, keep the small one and say, God, you gave this to me because you're going to heal me. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Because he wants to move you from being convinced or from being curious to being convinced and from being convinced to being committed. Now, a dating relationship always starts with curiosity. You start, you look at this girl or you look at this guy and you're so curious. Like Eve would have been curious about Brett. <laughs> or Brett would have been curious about Eve. Okay. <laughs> And so out of that curiosity came this, let's maybe go out together. Let's probably go to Baskin Robbins or let's go to Pancake Parlor or somewhere and let's meet and let's begin to catch up and let's, let's, let's get to know one another. And after a while, you are convinced that this is that perfect person that the Bible talks about. Doesn't the Bible say that he's got the perfect mate for you? He does, huh? He does. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord says that if you find a wife, you find a good thing. I don't think it ever said that you find a perfect thing, but maybe it does mean perfect too. So anyway, after that period of being convinced, what do you do? You propose and you say, because the person that you are traveling with, that you're journeying with, that your courting will never ever know that you are more than convinced about her until you make the move and you actually propose and you are then committed. Amen? So marriage is an example of that aspect. God wants to, he wants, you, you want to move from being curious. Can you imagine that you, you, you just go on this journey? Hey, we're just convinced. Yeah, we're convinced that we should be together. How long is that going to happen? You will become very tired after a while. You want to enter into, a, in, in, into the season of actually being absolutely committed. That I know I'm hook, line, and sinker in with you. You look at, at advertisement. What do they do? Marketing. They try and appeal to your curiosity. 
You know, I've, I've tried, believe me now, you're going to laugh at me when I say this, right? It hasn't worked for me as yet. It's this weight loss pills. <laughs> you take it with this uh, cider, apple cider vinegar. They say, oh, if you combine this with apple cider vinegar because it has this thing and it starts with a G, I can't remember what it is. It's that, that means you guys have also been suckered into it. I, I knew what it was, but I wanted to see how many of you, like me, got suckered into it. So there you go. So you bought that, right, with the hope that you will lose your weight. And it, it's not happened. I've gone through one bottle. I've gone through two, and it's, nothing's happened. But my hair fell off. That's right. So I am no more committed to that product. I was curious. Then for a while, it didn't convince me, so I decided not to be committed to it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so often, that's how we get, we get sucked into something like this. Out of curiosity, we find something and we get convinced out of that, and then we become, we become committed. We, and, and there are things that we commit ourselves to, and we found the fruit of our commitment. But the fruit of commitment comes from commitment. The fruit comes out of our commitment. If there's no commitment, there's no fruit. Amen? So that's, our, that's discipleship. Discipleship is all about that. It's this, it's this phase of being committed. Where are we? Are we in that convinced phase or are we in that committed phase? And so now, uh, Jesus begins to... He, he, talks to, he talks to Peter about this aspect. And I want us to turn to John chapter 20, 21. I believe it's the last chapter. John chapter 20, 21, verses 15 through 17. There are two uh, translations that I want us to look at. We will begin with the NLT, and we're going to end, in my conclusion, with the, with the Passion version. Right? And so as we look at... John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, it says this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And then again in verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And the third time he asked, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Jesus asked the question a third time and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. When I was reading this passage of scripture, I was thinking, oh man, it sounds like my wife. One time, two times, three times. And so the joke between the both of us is this. Because she'll ask me something more than, more than twice. I said, you've already asked me twice. Three times is dangerous. So please don't ask me three times. But now she's got a biblical precedence <laughs> to do that. So I was hesitant to even mention this passage of Scripture because... She's now going to quote theology and say, I've got biblical backing to ask you three times. So 
you know, in, in the, I mean, ima- imagine, imagine Jesus. Why, why do you think he did that three times? So we're going to look at this passage of, passage of Scripture in conjunction with his denial. Peter denied him three times. So that it was like three strikes. And so imagine now Peter hanging around his mates, having this cloud over him, this cloud of the fact that I've denied this man that I thought I was convinced and committed to. And I've, I've denied him. And so Jesus comes and appears to them. And he has one aspect that he wants to do that he's, that, that he's so adamant about. And that's what he wants to do to you and I. He wants to restore us back into that place that we may have felt shameful. Because we felt that we betrayed our Savior. We felt at times we've let him down. But the Lord will never ever leave us in that place of shame nor feel like as if you have let him down. He will want to restore you back to that place. So he comes and he says, will you feed my lamb? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? In front of all his friends, of of all his mates there, he's coming and he's saying that. Because he wants to bring him back into that place of being fully restored. And that's the kind of savior that we have. That's the person that you and I need to commit to. That's the person that you and I should be committed to. Tell me why shouldn't we then be committed to someone that all he wants to do is to bring us back into that place that he says that that's, that's where your place of authority is. That's where your position is. That's where I want you to be. Someone mentioned today about sitting in heavenly places, right? That's where he wants us to be. He wants us to be that. And so he comes and he says this. Now, some, some commentators say this, that, that, that there are two aspects of, of, of the word love that was used. Do you love me? There were, there were two. One was there was a weak usage of the word love at the time when he had said, do you love me, Peter? And so what he was saying was this, are you fond of me? So he was using what Peter was accustomed to. Yeah, so Peter was saying, yeah, I'm fond of you. Then there is another group of commentators that say, no, he was using the more, uh, I I wouldn't say aggressive, but the more forceful sense that are you committed to me? Do you love me with this sort of a passion? Are you burning with that passion of love? And on the third time when he says, do you love me? He comes to Peter's position and uses Peter's understanding and terminology. So he first says, do you love me? Feed. Go and grace. Teach. Feed them. Bring people into a place where they will be fed. Let them graze upon it. And the second aspect, if you read that, it says this. Do you love me? And Peter, Peter says, you know I love you. Then he says, care. And that word care has the word supervisory role. That we are to supervise, we are to coach, we are to mentor. So part of what Jesus was telling Peter this is this. If you love me, you will go to the extent of mentoring someone. You'll go to the extent of coaching someone. And you know, coaching, when you, when you coach someone, it's not, it's not always comfortable. Because you've got to bring out particular aspects that you see that that person may not see. And it is so difficult. I had, the, I had a difficult task on, on Friday morning 
to share with someone about having come late for a particular event that we were part of. And it was a vital, it was really vital. I had even, and because the person was paid, I said, you don't come on time, I will dock your payment. I will deduct a payment. And the person came late. And it affected, it affected our rehearsals to some extent and all of that. But the person came and, but at the end of the day, you know, everything went well and we managed to do what we needed to do. And I sent, then I received a text, uh, when, am, when is the payment going to come through and all of that. And I replied, probably late. <laughs> With smiley face. I mean, because I know him well, so we kind of went back and forth. And then I, and, and, and I got a text appreciating the fact that there was an opportunity to, to play. And I was, what do I do? Lord, do I share? Do I coach? Do I encourage? And I, and I, and I, and I sent a text uh, saying and encouraging, encouraging the person that, you know, it is, it is vitally important that, you know, timing be kept and, and so on and so forth. And the reply that I got, I was just, I was just, I was just totally in awe. He says, I agree. I need to really change. You know, and I thought to myself, man, I could have kept quiet. I, 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 I could have not said anything. But I felt I needed to in a gentle way, in a way that probably the person would have been able to receive. Now, we don't always sometimes get to do things in the right way. But the point is, is that if you love me, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will supervise, you will mentor, you will coach. And then he says, it doesn't just stay at that. You feed, you coach, and then it's like the sandwich. And then he says, then you feed. And both those words, feed, are the same words that are used. So you feed, you supervise, you correct, you coach, you mentor, and then you feed. And, and, and so the Lord speaks to him the third time, and at the third time, you find that Peter gets very, he, he really gets discouraged. He says, why is it that you're asking me? This is the third time that you're asking. And so Peter's response is fuller, but he does not, he does it in a, in, in a way, way he doesn't depend on his certainty. So this time around, Peter is saying that, you know, the first, the first two times he's, he's saying this, Lord, you know, but this time around he's saying with being a little bit more emphatic about it, but hear this, he doesn't say it in his certainty. He puts it over to the Lord. And he says it this way. He says, Lord, you have all the knowledge. Don't you know what's in my heart? So Jesus takes Peter on this journey about the aspect of love, bringing him back into a place where he then is able to articulate. Peter is now able to come to a place where he says, Jesus, you know what's in my heart. It's not about what I am now saying, but you know what's in my heart. Don't you think I love you? That's what he's bringing. That's what this committed relationship is really about. That you and I can tell Jesus this. Don't you know, Lord, 
what I really need. Don't you know that? You know that that's what I need. So why then do I need to fret and fuss and be anxious and be depressed and be all of that? When you know what's in my heart. That's this committed relationship that Jesus wants us to come into. Because when we are there, anything that he tells you to do, we will do it. You know why? Because that is absolute obedience. That is, that, that's come to a place where we, we know this, we, we've got this relationship in such a way that, man, I am so convinced. I am absolutely convinced. But there is this journey that he takes you and I. He takes you and I too. You know, and Peter needed that journey because Peter was full of himself. He was so certain. So let me give you some background uh, um, information about Peter's certainty. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. I think we've got that. Matthew 26. Uh, no, let's go, to, let's go to John chapter 13, verse 37 to 38 first. Can we get that? John 13, verse. Thank you. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Says Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth. Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You even knew, you, that you even knew me. So this is why he's saying now, you're going to deny me three times and that, that you even knew me. Right now in verse, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. He says, Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. So these are verses where you and I see, Peter was so certain. There was, there was this major certainty. Aren't we? Don't we feel that at times? Don't we feel that about our spouse? Don't we feel that about our kids? Don't our kids feel that about us? And often, we may let them down. We may fail. Things may happen, right? And so here you find that Peter needed to go through a particular journey for that certainty to be challenged. Every commitment that we make, you will find that a commitment is always challenged, that our commitment will be, will be challenged in a, in a huge way. And in, um, I want to read that verse 38 again where Jesus answered, would you really lay down your life for me, Peter? That's the question. Is that, would you actually really lay down your life for me? And so he thought, well, I, I definitely would. And then Jesus says, hey, here's the absolute truth. This is the Passion Translation. Here's the absolute truth. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will say three times that you don't even know me. Imagine that. Jesus, the person that you feel you're committed to turning around and telling you this, that you're going to deny me. And when that happened, imagine what he'd, what he'd gone through. So in John chapter 21, we, we, we see this connection that now Jesus brings the denial and he begins, he begins to now speak to him and affirms him, affirms him three different times, right? Right? 
Another aspect, another important point in this line of questioning was largely due to Peter's own mindset about the crucified Christ. I feel this is another important, important aspect for us to consider in, disciple, in, us, uh, in the journey of a disciple. So if I were to ask you this question, who is Christ to you? You know, Jesus asked Peter that question a few times, right? And you, and, and you find in this context, Peter is challenged in that because he could not really handle the context of the crucified Christ. Meaning, he didn't think that Jesus needed to go to the cross. Because when he began to explain a few things, and let me read this here. So as a, as a disciple, we, must, we all must ask this fundamental question. Who is this crucified Christ? Who is he to me? Do I take all of him or do I take some of him? You know, you know the song by John Legend. He sings this, right? Part of the song says this. Find this being sung at so many weddings, but, it's, but part of that song, all of me, has this line in it, in the chorus. I love all your perfect imperfections. Sounds nice. I love all your perfect imperfections. Now, the only way you can love someone's perfect imperfections is through, having, is through firstly having God's transforming love in you. If we don't have the love of God in us, if we don't have the transforming love, how are we? Gonna love that imperfection. We sang the song for the sake of the world. Burn like a fire in me. We talk about reaching a world. But when we are out there and when we hear certain things that may, may be difficult for us to accept, can we love that person? Can we love the difficult person? Can we love the person enough to not... You know, we've with what happened in New Zealand and you find this whole toing and froing happening. You see it on Facebook and it seems like as if, you know, what's, what's happening there? Uh, people are then now starting to talk about, oh, you know, what's happened to Christians in, in, in Africa, what's happened in Philippines and, and so on and so forth. All of that, it's like as if, you know, we're trying to, some people have said it even on Facebook, it's like point scoring. So this whole battle is going on, and who wins at the end of the day? But love has to surpass all of that if we truly love the way Jesus loves. If we truly have that aspect of, of, of love where it keeps no record of any wrong, then we go beyond all of this, friends. Now, that sort of discipleship is the kind of discipleship that Jesus talks about when the world sees that you, that, that, that you and I are one they will then be attracted. That will be more than them being. They will firstly be curious. But when they see this happen, then they will be convinced. But the, the fact that in order for them or in order for anyone to be committed, this needs to be a common practice. This, this needs to be something that we actually live out. So as a community here, do we live this out here amongst ourselves? You know, and, and so Jesus begins to challenge Peter and the disciples because he knows what he is now imparting to them and the responsibility that they have. They, the, these 12 have had, had the responsibility to turn the world upside down. 
So the journey of, the, of discipleship must ad adequately examine the question, do you love me? Do you love me? More importantly for Peter, whose example and journey has so much that, that, that we, can, we can literally re relate, relate to Peter. Now, Peter's actions in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22 to 23, when I read this, you'll understand what I mean. It says this, Peter took him aside. Here, Jesus is talking to him about the need to go to the cross, the need to be crucified. Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. And he says, far be it from you, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me. You are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus told, told his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, another instance, when the guards came to the garden, what did, what did Peter do? They came to the garden to take Jesus to be crucified. But what, what was Peter's uh, subconscious or uh, Im Im immediate, his reflex was what? To fight to keep that person from taking Jesus. So here, the point here is this, and this is a very, very important, uh, an absolutely important point. It's this. He could not come to terms with this crucified Christ. How many of us understand this aspect of Jesus? This, this element of Jesus having been crucified and the need for us to then carry that cross. Because we come to him and we take certain aspects. But there are the more difficult aspects that we feel, no, I don't think that's for me. Maybe that's for Harvey. Maybe that's for Kevin. Maybe that's for John. Maybe that's for someone else, but not for me. And here, Jesus had to confront Peter with this aspect. And you find that in, in uh, I'm, I'm going to close in a, in a couple of minutes, and I want to, I want to bring us to that verse just after the, uh, I think it's verse 18 of John chapter 21. If you could turn with me to John chapter 21, verse 18. I tell you the truth, that's right. Um, verse, in, in, verse eight, in verse 18, he says, I tell you the truth. When we were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch your hands and others will dress you and take you to where you want to go. And in verse 19, it says this. Oh, where you don't want to go. Sorry. Thank you. That will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And in verse 19, it says this. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So here he's saying this. Now, firstly, do you love me? And he goes down all of that. Then he brings him to a place now. After that, he begins to explain now. You, you say you love me, this is the price that you need to pay in order to love me. He begins to tell him this now. This is the kind of death 
that's going to follow you? Are you, for the sake of the world, are you willing to do that? Are you and I willing to go to that extent of being committed? Because that's what commitment is. That's the extent of commitment that Jesus requires of us. Now, whether you and I will go through that, I don't know. But this is the commitment that he seeks from us. It's not 95%, it's not 90%, it's 100%. It's all in. Hook, line, and sinker, all in. But you know, friends, the truth of that as well is this. As he met Peter, he will meet you and I on our journey. He comes to you and he begins to speak to you and I at that place that we are in. But he doesn't want to leave us in a position of just being convinced. He wants to take us into this place, into the realm of being committed, right? And then here in verse, in verse 20, Peter turned around. And look, and look at Peter. Peter is still not convinced about certain things because part of discipleship is also this. We see this happen in our lives. We are sometimes more concerned about, but what about that person? What about the other person? Is Shami needing to experience that? Because in Peter's mind, he's thinking, man, if I'm going to go through this, what about this guy that slept on his chest, the one that he really loves, because he asked that question there. And he says that in verse 22. <laughs> and sometimes I think Jesus, the, the way he said what he said, it sounds like as if it's sarcasm. Now, I'm not putting that and saying that Jesus is sarcastic. I'm not saying that at all, but it, it's, it's, it sounds like it in a sense. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over Jesus. And then he asked this question, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Meaning, what, what, what about this guy? So was Peter trying to discredit him? What was Peter trying to do? What do you think Peter was trying to do? What do you think we tried to do? We look at the Joneses, we look at everyone else, and we think and we say, man, look at them. They've got all of that. What about them? Why don't they go through the hardships that I have to go through? Is this what being a committed believer is really all about? then maybe I'd rather be there. And what, how does Jesus now, what is Jesus' reply? And he says this, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, as for you, you just follow me. You don't bother about this. That is not the question you need to ask. So we ask the wrong questions, friends. In discipleship, we need to learn to ask the right questions. The question is not about comparing ourselves with someone else. The fact is this, that if you say yes to him, he will give you the best. You will never ever get something that is second best. Unless, and hear this, unless you compare yourself with John. I, I mean, sorry, not John Wilson. I mean the John here in, in, in the Bible. Unless you compare yourself with someone and you look at that person and you say, what about that? 
What about that? What about that? Now the Lord wants to cut that off. The Lord wants to bring us to a place where we will be so settled with our identity. We will be so settled with whom we are in Him. We will be so settled with the fact that, man, I love this Jesus. And Jesus comes and says, do you love me? Then feed. Then feed my, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then care for them. Do you love me? Then feed them. Don't compare. Take everything that He gives. All of me. Take all of me. Because you know what? He loves our perfect imperfections. Because in his eyes, they are not imperfections at all. He has perfected you and I. Amen? So, I as, as we end with this aspect, I want to bring us back to one thing that I don't know whether you remember reading that right at the start. If we go back to the first verse. The first verse starts with this. And he says, do you love me more than these? And that's where I want to end here. So what is that question that Jesus says? That Peter now, Jesus begins to ask me, do you love them more than these? <laughs> Scripture has left that open-ended. Doesn't really comment on, is it the person? That means, do you love these, your friends, more or is it, do you love the boats? Do you love the fishing? Do you love this livelihood? Because as you read those passages earlier, what it started off with, they were fishing, they didn't catch anything. Jesus comes on the beach and he says that, throw your net onto the other side. And they hold it up and they were these large fishes. He then now comes he takes that fish and he begins to cook breakfast. So he starts with the natural. He feeds them naturally. And then he goes to Peter and he says, if you love me, feed. If you love me, feed. So what Jesus is actually really addressing here is this. He's addressing the aspect of their livelihood. Peter, do you love your livelihood more than me? Do you love these things? Are you willing to give this up? Friends, are you willing to give up your jobs? Are you willing to give up your homes? Are you willing to give up your cars? Are you willing to give up your comfort? Are you willing to give all of that up? He's asking us this morning, do you love me more than all of these aspects? <laughs>